is. So <laughs> I, uh, I just finished this book right here, The Reform of the Liturgy, 1948 to 1975 by uh, Annabelle Bunini. He was... Uh, the secretary of the concilium, which was basically the group um, that was delegated by the Pope after the Second Vatican Council uh, to uh, kind of lead the liturgical reforms um, and and follow, uh, they were supposed to follow the Second Vatican Council's uh, dogmatic constitution on the liturgy, Sacrosanctum Concilium. Uh, and I think <laughs> If you go about reading this book, if you take the time, because as you can see, it's over a thousand pages. Um, you know, the, the first, I don't know, about 30 pages, 40 pages are our table of contents and introduction, things like that. But then once you actually get into the book, um, it's about 977 pages of reading. So it is a, it's a massive book. Um, and <laughs> I know a lot of people have not have not read it. Um, and so that, that's kind of why I want to make this video and I, I hope to make a series of videos kind of giving summaries of the various parts of the book um, so that other people, you know, may not have the time nor the desire <laughs> to read this, to read this work, um, but they can still benefit uh, from the information within it conveyed through me <laughs> as a uh, as horrible or as good as as that may be, um, but I, I want to start this episode just by giving my initial reflections on the book, kind of just in general. I won't really go through many, uh, or or maybe even any specific references, um, but I want to just kind of give you guys the reason for why I wanted to read this book, um, and then also why or, or or my my thoughts about it, my my very initial reflections. Like like I said. I just finished reading it today. Um, it's uh, March twenty fourth, twenty twenty three. So, so it's it's fresh in my head. I took uh, a pretty insane amount of notes. I can kind of show you here. I, I take audio notes um, on my phone, and and the way that I did I read this was uh, here on archive.org. Archive.org is an amazing resource. If you guys have the chance to use it or, or desire to use it, right? It's free and they have tons of open source books on there. And they actually have a little icon here that will read the book to you. Um, and here, let's see when if I'll do angles was told of this. Yeah, so you might be able to hear that. But it, it uses, a it's just a computer kind of reading the words. Um, it's not any actual person. So it does funny pronunciations on weird words and things like that. It kind of makes you chuckle sometimes, but, uh, but I, I, you know, I'm a father, I have a son and I have another child on the way. Um, I'm a husband. And so I don't have a ton of time just to sit down and read. Um, I, I live in a very small house, which we're currently, we've been in the midst of renovating for the last two years. And so and I work a full-time job as a land surveyor with the Indiana Department of Transportation. So, you know, I don't have a whole ton of time just to sit down and read. But what I do have a lot of time of is time in the car, um, which is why I started this podcast, Catholicism in the Car, um, because that's really the only time that I have personally to 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 make a podcast. You know, there, there's exceptions like what I'm doing right now. Uh, my gracious wife um, 
relieved me from doing the dishes because uh, uh, I, I did probably the first first half or so. And she said, okay, we talked about me doing this short, this video here. And she said, okay, you go do the video. We already put my, excuse me, we already put my son down for the night. Um, and so, you know, I have a little bit of time here to do this um, outside the car, right? And I, for those who are wondering, I do have a playlist called Catholicism Outside the Car of all my videos that um, that I do outside the car. <laughs> uh, interviews and, uh, and and just personal videos like this, things like that. So um, I wanna give praise and thanks to my wife for being such an amazing woman um, and allowing me to do this. But anyway. Um, so I, what I do is in the car on my way to work most mornings, and, and a lot of times on my way home from work, I will listen to a book, um, an audio book or, or a, a, a transcripted kind of read, computer read book like this. Um, and it allows me to get through a lot of material. It took me, uh, it took me about two months to get through this entire work. Um, and that's listening to it. Um, at least for half an hour a day, and I would listen to it on two times speed. Like you can, you can change the, you can change the speed here and all that. How do I know? You can change the speed here. So, anyway, um, so that's just a little bit about how I did this. Uh, but then I, I want to tell you why I did this. Um, I've, as many of you know, I've been in a number of discussions on Facebook with uh, with Dr. Peter Kwasniewski um, and also uh, uh, Gregory DePippo um, and a lot, a lot of other people. Uh, and I wanna give a shout out to Gregory and Dr. Kwasniewski in particular um, because they've been probably the most, the most gracious to me uh, of um, people who I, I somewhat disagree with, you know, I somewhat disagree with both of them on some things. I probably disagree with Kwasniewski more than I do with DePippo on things, um, but but they have just been so gracious to me in in being willing uh, to embark upon conversation, even when we disagree, and just uh, being being pleasant and ironic and all that. It's been a great great joy for me to 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 talk to them and continue to talk to them. So uh, I read. Kwasniewski's book, uh, the, the the Once and Future Roman Rite, um, and I read a number of other of his books just to kind of get an idea of the state of the traditionalist movement in the Catholic Church, um, and also just to learn from them because they, I mean, Kwasniewski has done a ton and ton of research on all of this, um, and he's compiled it into a number of of very lengthy books, um, and and very very good books. I mean. Like I said, I disagree with him on a few places, but I would wholeheartedly recommend his works to people um, as long as they read it with a critical eye. And I'm sure he would say the same thing. So, um, and then Gregory de Pippo, he writes a lot of uh, articles for uh, new liturgical movement. Um, and, and his articles are just, they're wonderful. He's, he's, he's hilarious. And, and in my conversations with him on Facebook, he, he makes me laugh every single time because he's, he's very, he has a very dry sense of humor and, and I love it. Anyway, so, um, so I got in discussions with these guys, and and it really, um, I've always been interested in the liturgy, but getting into discussions with those two men in particular, and a lot of other people, um, getting into discussions with those two men who are, who are very, very involved in um, the traditionalist liturgical movement, um, 
it really sparked something in me to to do my own research. Um, and I figured kind of one of the main places to go was I, I wanted to hear about the reform from the reformers themselves and who better to hear it from than the secretary of the concilium, Anabali Bunini, um, who is, is quite notorious, uh, at least in traditionalist circles. He's quite notorious. He, he does not have a good reputation. Um, but I wanted to hear from his his own mouth, his own his own pen, right? What he thought, and um, and honestly, I found the book very enlightening. Um, I found it entertaining at times. Um, I also found it very sad, um, shameful, scandalous at times. Um, but but I didn't feel that. In writing this book, I did not feel that Bunini was trying to whitewash what happened. I didn't. I didn't get the feeling that he was trying to to paint it all with, uh, with like, or I guess look at it with rose-colored glasses, right? He he seemed to um, to really just kind of state the facts as they were. And this is really a it's a memoir of his um, is kind of what I call it, and and it's kind of a history of the entire liturgical reform from his perspective. Um, and and to be able to hear, oops, sorry, to be able to hear from his perspective uh, was just uh, was just really, really great. And and you know, <laughs> I I posted today on Facebook that I had finished the book and I got a number of comments of people saying, like, wow, you're crazy. Like why why in the world would you waste your time reading that book um but it really comes down to like i like i said i, I wanted to hear from the man himself um from the reformers themselves you know my 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 plan next after i i really digest bunini here is to go on to youngman um and then some others as well probably and then and then i'll probably circle back and read more traditionalist works just to to kind of get both sides of these things and read as, as much as I can, because um, I do find this issue, th these liturgical issues, to be very important. Um, and I, I don't think that there's something that, that I, at least, should uh, try to brush under the rug. So, so I wanted to just hear it from the horse's mouth what exactly happened from his perspective. And like I said, um, there was a lot of really, really good things about this book. Uh, like I said, I think I I don't think he was trying to hide the truth um, of what happened, the good and the bad. He he seems to put it down pretty plainly, um, and puts down the motivations of people pretty plainly, and his own motivations pretty plainly for the liturgical reforms. And and I would say it's quite damning, <laughs> um, to use that word in a um, in a non-cursing way, I guess. Uh, I think it is. It's. I think he really um, he put the crosshairs on himself by writing this book. And I think that this book, for traditionalists in particular, or or you know just those who who really want to see the liturgy become more authentic, um, I really do think that this book gives a lot of ammo for people um, to show very clearly that. The Novus Ordo, it, it's really built upon very shaky ground, at least as far as um, the intention of its builders went, 
okay, uh, this book does bring out, I think, very clearly that the Novus Ordo, um, or the, 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 the creators of the Novus Ordo, were really kind of just cherry picking um, different historical liturgies and taking pieces from here and there and then cobbling them together and um, and calling it the Missal of 1969. <laughs> I, I really think that this book bears that out. And, and, and to hear it from Bunini himself, I think is, is a really um, big, like I said, big piece of ammo for the traditionalist movement. Uh, and I think that people that are interested in these issues, these liturgical issues, you would do well to read this book. Um, or e even if maybe not the whole thing, just look through the table of contents uh, here and and find things that uh, that interest you. You know, maybe I'll I'll go through this a little bit. Um, I only have 30 minutes on my on my uh, timer. So I'm at 13 right now. So let's see. Um, yeah, maybe I can just go through the, the table of contents just a little bit here to jog my memory and kind of give you guys a little bit of a feel for what goes on in this book. Um, so the part one is basically his history um, of the reform, the concilium, how the concilium was created. Um, there was a lot of kind of drama between the concilium and the, um, uh, what was it called? The Congregation for Divine Worship or whatever it was called at the time. <laughs> they were kind of vying for power almost. Uh, and, and it seemed from what I remember uh, that the Concilium was more on the liberal side and the Congregation for Divine Worship was more on the conservative side. And so there was a lot of back and forth there between them. And it seems like eventually the, the Concilium won out on who got to really pick what happened with the liturgical reforms. Um, and you know, that's a large reason why we got what we got. But, um, you know, it kind of goes through all this history. And and this part, you know, I, honestly, I need to go back and I need to to get a clearer picture of exactly what all this was because it, it, uh, it was easy to get lost in the weeds here um, for me. And, and, and there was just, there's a lot of names, a lot of events, and, and he kind of structured it in a way to where it's, it's not really in a timeline so much. It's more by by topic. And so it's really kind of difficult to to get a real picture of what's going on. So that's part of what I want to do when I when I go back and um, and read through this. Oh, and and as I was saying before, just to circle back, I, I read this through audio and I make audio notes um, through Google Keep on my phone. I use Google Assistant. So while I'm driving, I can make these notes hands-free and all that. Um, so I have, I mean, gosh, it's probably 500 notes just from just from this. It's like almost every page I have at least one note on. So uh, I need to sift through them all. I, I kind of compile them into a Word document and then organize them. And you know, the 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 way that the the software the yeah the software. Um, translates my words isn't always correct, so I need to go through and you know fix a lot of words and kind of compile all the notes and get a better feel of of kind of what I went through <laughs> in recording all this. But anyway, so that's kind of the first part. Um, the the, the uh, let's see. So this second part, yeah, he kind of starts going through the various liturgical books and the Roman Missal, and he went through. Um, 
oh, particularly, yeah, chapter 29, going through the Eucharistic prayers, this is where it really became clear to me that um, that he, or the, the, the concilium itself was kind of just cherry picking things out of history and cobbling them together. Um, this section, starting in page 448, uh, really, I thought, made that clear. And, and I probably am going to make a video specifically on that pretty soon here. Um, the lectionary was also really interesting, kind of as to why they um, they did things like cr create readings where you could skip parts, <laughs> where they put things in brackets. Um, yeah, that, that was definitely a very bad decision, uh, in my opinion. Um, I think it conveys a lot of unwanted things to the laity when you when you say you can just skip over the word of God because you're tired or whatever. Um, you know, taking it kind of takes things out of context anyway. So, you know, and I and I think Brunini, you know, what he writes here, it it pretty much affirms that analysis. I, I don't think I'm really reading into it at all in order to say that. So um let's see so then yeah he goes through the liturgy of the hours oh my goodness one one of the craziest things about the liturgy of the hours was they had this whole debate about the uh, imprecatory psalms uh i think i'm saying that right right Im imprecatory yeah um, meaning like the, the penitential psalms the ones that's like cry out to god and say woe is me lord like uh you know and and um you know also the, the cursing psalms things like that so and they eventually came up with, again, the horrible decision, I think, to not include certain psalms in the Liturgy of the Hours or, or the Mass because they thought they would scandalize the laity. It was, it was basically their way of, um, like, like, their motivation was that they wanted the laity to pray the Liturgy of the Hours and they didn't want to scandalize them. You know, for some reason, thinking that God's word is going to scandalize people is, is actually scandalous, <laughs> I think. But um, for some reason, you know, they thought that was the way to go and whatever. But, um, you know, so the, there's that part on the on the, the liturgy of the hours. And that was, uh, yeah, starting in page 491 there. Let's see what else we got. Yeah, going through the sacraments. That was, that was kind of interesting. Um, the Holy Communion ones, they talked about communion on the hand on page 640. Uh, that was also pretty um pretty damning, I would say. Uh, just, you know, it, it tells the story as it was that communion on the hand was allowed because um, there were a lot of people doing it in disobedience uh, after the council and a little bit before the council. But there were so many people doing it in disobedience, particularly in like France and Belgium and Germany, uh, that eventually the, um, the Vatican and the Holy Father kind of acquiesced to them. And they said, okay, we'll let you do what you want. And we'll give you a communion on the hand. They kind of, um, they, they didn't discipline them, is is basically what it came down to. And and that that really, I think, in the modern church, the modern day church, is one of our biggest issues. And we're seeing it right now with the German bishops' conference going into schism, um, is that the church does not want to discipline people, and that's that's scandalous in and of itself. So anyway. Uh, you know, I, I think in that section on communion on the hand, he, he, he really makes it clear that, that communion on the hand was allowed because of disobedience. 
um, and because of a lack of discipline. So, you know, that, that was, um, was quite unfortunate. Um, let's see. Rights for the sick. That was interesting. Some people were, um, were trying to advocate for laity being able to give the anointing of the sick. Thankfully that didn't go through, but it was scary that there were some people in this concilium, um, who wanted that to happen. That was another thing. I mean, there, there were num numerous places, and I hope to go through that with you guys more in detail at some point, but numerous places throughout, the, throughout this book where certain members of the concilium were clearly advocating for heretical views. Um, and, and you know, that, that's, that's really an example right there. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it, it was parts like that that made this book really... Uh, it, it, it grieved my heart when I read those parts. Um, but again, I really think that's good ammo for traditionalists. Um, okay, sorry, I gotta check how much time I got left. So I got about nine minutes left. So I gotta start wrapping up here because I end up being a little long-winded. Uh, they talk about blessings. Um, this is kind of where they had the debates about like, should laity be able to bless everything and anything they want? Um, thankfully that didn't go all the way through. Uh, I vaguely remember there was some scandalous things on this section about abbots and abbesses, but I can't quite remember what it was. Um, the blessings of oils, I think they, they, there they talked about, you know, the priests, um, some people wanted the priests to be able to give the blessing of oils, and, and to my recollection, that did not go through, uh, except for maybe very extreme circumstances. Um, the laity and the liturgy and this section over here 752 the laity and the liturgy that was that was an interesting one um from what i remember they they were discussing yeah like you whole uh, ex extraordinary ministers of holy communion and things like that they, they also discussed it back in the uh, section on holy communion um, yeah extraordinary minister of communion on page 636 so they discussed it there. Let's see. Oh, man. And then this part seven, simplification of the pontifical rites. Oh, goodness, guys. This part, um, yeah, there's nothing else to say besides it was, it was kind of shameful to me, and it was scandalous to me, this part. Um, the things that were proposed and the things that were done um, the kind of recovations that he talks about in this phase um, that were done to the papal chapel, that uh, that the uh, renovations or, or reformations of the Episcopal liturgy, the bishop's liturgy. Um, let's see. I think I, yeah, that, that part, part seven, starting on page, what is that, 805? That was not very good. Um, special documents. I kind of got to go back and read that. Although, you know, it was only a few days ago that I read it. Um, the last 100, 200 pages went by really fast, actually. But, um, yeah, I don't really have a whole ton to say about this. The liturgy and seminaries part was definitely kind of scandalous. Um just the things that they wanted to be done, like with teaching seminarians about the liturgy, definitely, definitely not good. Um, 
and then the one on sacred music. This one uh, was really like the last, the last really substantial part, I think, for me. Um, and it made it clear that like most musicians in the church, most trained musicians, did not want uh, reform of sacred music. They they wanted to stick with polyphony, um, palestrina, and uh, and Gregorian chant, and and those more traditional types of of sacred music. Um, and like virtually every trained musician wanted that. And and he even says at one point, I forget exactly which page, but that uh, that the uh, it was kind of like a debate between the musicians and the pastors because the pastors wanted to be pastoral, you know, and um, and make music more popular. Um, and all the all the musicians were like, what the heck? This is not pastoral at all. You're just watering everything down, and this is this is bad news bears, right? <laughs> so, anyway, um, yeah, yeah. That 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 section was was definitely of interest. Um, and then <laughs> this part ten on nine page nine seventeen, liturgical reform at special events. Here they mention uh, liturgical dancing a few times, which is definitely very very cringeworthy and and sacrilegious. I would argue. Um, and that was pretty much it. This appendix at the end, he gives names of tons of people that were involved, and then he gives a bibliography. And he gives an index of persons at the very, very end um, on page 968 of like literally every single person that was involved. And uh, it was like, you know, 10 pages just of lists of names. So anyway, that's kind of it. And um, I hope that this little summary here was valuable for you guys. Um, and, and please look out for more videos regarding this book from me. Um, I have not seen a lot of videos done on this book. So hopefully, um, hopefully I can kind of fill the void there. Uh, you know, I, I don't, like I said, I don't know of many people that have even read it. Um, but <laughs> uh, and those who have read it, I don't think they've really made videos on it. So, like I said, I did find it a valuable read, um, but mainly because I think it gives good ammunition for um, for the traditionalist movement and the conservative movement liturgically. Um, for both of them, I think it gives very, very good ammunition. So that's pretty much it. Thanks, y'all. Please subscribe. Uh, to my channel, anything that we can do to to force this stuff into the YouTube algorithm. YouTube really does not like videos uh, like what I do, um, especially videos that I do on transgenderism and homosexuality. Um, I even have a whole playlist, and I had to like you know spell out transgenderism and homosexuality with weird symbols and letters and stuff. Um, but like they they definitely don't like those videos. Um, so anyway, we'll see how this one goes. Um, one of my most popular videos is one on Francisco de Osuna's Third Spiritual Alphabet. So that was a that was a book review. So you know maybe this one will get kind of popular. Although this is an incredibly like niche <laughs> book. So, um, but but you know who knows who knows. Please pray for me um, again. Like I said, like and subscribe to my channel. Um, pray for my family. Uh, like I like I mentioned, we have a baby on the way. Um, as of uh, today, March 24th, 2023, I think the, the baby's due uh, 
the beginning of September 2023. So yeah, good deal. Um, anyway, bless you all.